announcements. Let's go now to God's Word. Um, and I, We're going to hear from Matthew chapter 16. This is Matthew chapter 16, 13 through 20. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you, Gretchen. Pray with me. Father, we need eyes to see and ears to hear. The glorious hope of the gospel. The glorious hope that Jesus is the Messiah. The Christ. The Son of the living God. And so, Father, would you come by your Spirit and would you make real what has been read Would you so penetrate our hearts that we would live differently, that we would be different? Father, I remember a time so distinctly when I entered a room like this not believing and left believing. It's all because I came in contact with you, the holy, holy, holy God of Israel who is merciful and kind, who works to change hearts. And so, God, we confess today that we have no power to change anyone, but that you do. And we profess your power, your sovereignty. So Lord Jesus, just as you stood before the tomb of your dead friend Lazarus and said, rise again, would you stand before dead hearts and minds this morning and by that same power bring to spiritual eternal life those who are dead in sin and trespasses. Oh, God, give us hope. Remind us of our hope. Would you do so for the glory of Christ, not for the name of some church? Father, would you do so that you might get what you deserve? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The question is focused. Jesus doesn't beat around the bush. (laughs) He simply asks, who do you say that I am? He had already asked, who do they say that I am? And they said, oh, prophet, who do you say that I am? I mean, this is the question of Christianity. It really is. And yet, even though it's the question of Christianity, it seems like in every day and age, it's always being challenged. And we see that in our day today. Miroslav Volf, who is the founder and director of the Center for Faith and Culture at Yale University, is on the leading edge of trying to change the orthodox gospel and say that, that the God of the Jews and the God of Islam and the God of Christianity are really all just the same God. And this is catching steam in our, in our nation. And really the circumstances are absolutely perfect for this to be the case. Because as Charles, Charles Taylor says in his thorough work, 
um, the secular age. It's called the, the secular age. Um, he refers to our day as the age of authenticity. And what he means by that is that truth and meaning and identity are believed to be found today by simply looking within, seeing what our hopes and dreams really are to make us, us, and then throw off the, the, the bonds of religion, the bonds of Christianity, the, the bonds of family and, and parents and friends and society and just be yourself because we all deserve to be happy. I mean, that is the gospel of our age. And so if that is the gospel of mainstream culture, then who, who is going to say and who is going to believe that the message of Christianity, the orthodox message of Christianity, or really the orthodox message of Jews or Muslims, that our God, depending on who's speaking, is the true God. And you see where we are. The point of this new religion is freedom. The point of this new religion is to find truth. And yet, I mean, it, it's such an intellectual softball. And let me give you an example of this. Uh, let's just imagine that after church today, somebody comes up to me and says, Man, Richard, I just, I love you. I, I love you, but, uh, but you need to know that I'm, you know, I'm accepting you, Richard, as a Pentecostal preacher from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Well, I mean, I grew up in Tulsa, and I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and um, and I have such fond memories of my childhood that it's going to make me happy if I can just come into this place and I can receive you as a my, my Pentecostal preacher from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I would say, you need help. <laughs> but that's precisely what we have done with Jesus intellectually it makes no sense. We're throwing out what he says about himself. We're throwing out history and we're saying, oh, it's just it's a matter of making him what we want him to be. I mean that's it just make God No. That is idolatry. <laughs> that is not Christianity. Jesus asks his disciples, Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my Father, who is in heaven, parentheses, revealed this to you, in parentheses. And you are now Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Who do you say Jesus is? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And if so, what are the implications? Both to us personally and in the world. Let's look at that this morning. First of all, we need to see that it's absolutely imperative to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, nobody won... The Powerball Lottery last night, I woke up this morning and found out. 
It was at $800 million, and guess what it's going to be today? $1.3 billion. Like the signs around Memphis and every city in this country will not even be able to do anything with that because they have in permanence million. And so there is no billion. $1.3 billion. And everybody's buying tickets. I mean everybody. I, we were at dinner with a dentist on Friday night. He said, yeah, I, y'all bought your t- I bought my ticket. And, and do you realize how absolutely ludicrous it is? Because the odds are much better that you and I will be hit by an, an asteroid today than we will win the lottery. Literally. It is mathematical. I mean, it's, it's as close to 100% certain that you will not win the lottery. And yet, everybody is going to buy it. Because, oh, but, just, but somebody's got to win it. The odds are one in 300 million. And do you? there's something wrong here because we bring the truth of Christianity. We have historical evidence. And, oh, you're a fool to believe that archaic junk. We've got 500 witnesses that saw him be raised from the dead. Oh, you're, you're, that's ridiculous. We can't believe. So what do you do with that? You'll go buy a, a lottery ticket, but you won't believe in a message that's been believed for a few thousand years, that the gates of hell has been pushing up against, that every intellectual that's ever lived has tried to disprove it, and it still stands? And what, what does that tell us about us? It says, to me at least, that we were built for hope. We were built for faith. You, can't believe, you may not believe in Christianity, but you've got to believe something. That's precisely what I believe that says. And not only that, we weren't just made for faith, but we were made to be loved. We were made for hope. The reason that we want to win the $1.3 billion lottery is because we have projected hope upon that kind of money. We literally believe that our, our problems will be solved, that life will be in order, and all bad will become good for us. If we won that money, it's a Messiah. But will that money love us well? I don't know, but we were made for it. Ben A. Brown, who has become famous with her TED Talks, and she's written a few books now, uh, said this. She said, after studying vulnerability, shame, and authenticity for the past decade, here's what I've learned. A deep sense of love and belonging is an irreducible need of all people. We are biologically cognitively, physically, and spiritually wired to love, to be loved, and to belong. When those needs are not met, we don't function as we were meant to. We break, we fall apart, we numb, we ache, and we hurt others. Friends, we were made for love. But we were made for personal love. You see, this is why religion will not save us. This is why money and stuff will not save us. 
Because we were made to be loved and to believe in the love of a benevolent, perfect lover. And there's only one of those, and that's what Jesus means when he, when, and that's what Peter is meaning when he says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. To say that is to say, you are my new beginning. You are my hope. You are genuinely and literally what I'm believing in to make life better, to make life meaningful. You're the one that I'm trusting for me to feel loved and significant. You are the one, not money, not beauty, not power, not fame, not success. I've been studying a little bit of success, this whole idea of success in our day. Back in, and really was sparked by the whole genealogy of Jesus and uh, some some um, information I was reading through, you know, in, in, in December when we were looking at Matthew chapter 1. Because in Matthew's day, which was Jesus' day, one's resume was his family. But in our day, our resume is our work and our school, our accomplishments. I mean, very few people ask you about your family in a job interview. They want to know who, you, what, where were you educated, what, what, what have you done, right? But in, and yet, it, it doesn't matter. It, it, in a shame culture in which your family has done nothing, you're just shamed all the time. Just like if you haven't succeeded, and your resume is pathetic. I mean, do you see? But the, the same, it, it leads to the same emptiness because we weren't made for our resume to be family or success, but to be Jesus the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Only Jesus can withstand what you were built to do, and that is believe and be loved. Do you hear me? And so I have to ask you this morning, is that your testimony about Jesus? Do you see Jesus as your Messiah? As the one who is to come and, and make all things right? The one who will come back one day and usher in a new heaven and a new earth? When John the Baptist sent word to Jesus, John was in prison. This is uh, what we read in Luke chapter 7. When the men, really John's disciples, came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the expected one? See, it was a person. John the Baptist, the Jews were looking for a person, a redeemer. Do you have Jesus as your redeemer this morning? Because that is what He calls you to believe Him to be. I think we need to do some work this morning and say, what is it that I'm believing? What, what is it that I've replaced Jesus with? Because we are all in a living relationship, in a hope and trust-filled relationship with something or someone. It's not a matter of, Will you stop just living life and come over here and all of a sudden become religious and believe and have faith? No, you have faith. Everybody in here is religious, if that's how you want to put it, to the very depths of their soul. 
You are believing something, even if you reject everything modern, then your belief and your hope is in rejecting everything modern. You can't get away from it. You do have a Messiah, so what or who is your Messiah? We see that Jesus replaces nothing else, and we've got to take Jesus for who he is in in the lines down. If we just look at our passage, because Jesus after this starts talking about how he must go to Jerusalem, be uh, suffer and, and be killed at, at the hands of the chief priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees, and be raised. And you remember Peter came and said, Far be it from you, Lord. And do you remember what Jesus said? He didn't say, Oh, Peter, if, if that's the gospel according to you, and if that's what makes you happy, if you want to believe in a Jesus that didn't suffer, and then I okay, let's you go with that. He didn't do that. He said, get behind me, Satan, because you have in, thing, in mind the things of men, not the things of God. In other words, you can't make God be who you want Him to be. This is who He is. So you've got to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But secondly, you've got to understand that Jesus will build His church on the message that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. If we as a body believe in what I just, the proposition that I just gave us, then, then we have hope as a church. That's also what Jesus is saying. On this rock, I will build my church. We have hope as a church. And dear friends, every church in every age has been pushed against and challenged to, to ask the question, to look within us as a body, individually and corporately, and say, is our gospel really that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God? And we are being challenged in some way right now. Uh, we're being challenged by the fact that we don't know where we're going to be in a few months. We're challenged by the fact that a developer is coming in and we're excited about what's going on in downtown, but they're going to make this a hotel and they're going to make our office. By February 1, we've got to be out of our office. They're going to make it a Malco movie theater. And the question that we're getting daily, almost, is, so where are y'all going? And we have some of the best minds, we have some of the best resources in Memphis, in this church. Everybody's looking, and I can't tell you how many countless hours we've invested in this, how many buildings, how we find, oh, that may work, and we we do our studies, and oh, but something falls. And, and, And in the midst of all of that, we have this room, and the acoustics are horrendous. I mean, this room, I mean, seriously, this room has has hurt us in a lot of ways. And we're, hear me, I'm thankful for this room. We could be outside this morning. I get that. I'm not complaining. I'm just stating what is. But when we move from Tennessee over here, we lost a lot of our, our relational intimacy just by the room because now it, people in the back, if someone prays up here, nobody in the back can hear them because it goes up you know, three or four stories and gets lost and it's bouncing off the marble and... It's horrible. And yet prayer, (laughs) it is. (laughs) But 
Prayer as a church body is, is so much of who we are and we want to have that time. And that's another thing that we're going to be able to have as we break our body into two. We can hopefully see that again and have some of that because we'll be closer together. We have all these challenges. We're going to two services. We're moving the nursery from down there to up to the police precinct. And that's, I mean, all these crazy things change, change, and change. And then at some point we got to move, at least by, I don't know, maybe September 1, maybe sometime this summer. And yet Jesus stands in the midst of this and he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I, I have been going back and just thinking about church history, and this is certainly not an apples-to-apples apples comparison, but it certainly, I think, puts us in our place, puts me in my place. I went back and looked at Acts, and I looked at the stoning of Stephen and what happened after the stoning of Stephen, and I was so encouraged by this passage. Read with me, Acts 8, 1-8. And there arose on that day a great persecution. Stephen had been stoned and, and killed. Um, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. All right. So Stephen dies, and the disciples go because great persecution um, breaks out, and people are losing home and life. And, and then we read, Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered, listen to this, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many um, who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Persecution comes upon the church. They lose their building, if you will. And they're spread all over the region, and Philip goes down to, to Samaria, and if you keep reading in, in, in that chapter, you see that uh, there's a, a magician in town who, in, in Jesus' day, or uh, in the Apostles' day, was uh, somewhat of a, you know, a, a demon-possessed kind of person that believed in all kinds of sorcery and weird stuff, and even he came to faith. The gospel goes to Samaria, and how does it go? through the dispersion of God's people through persecution. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's the God we serve. Because the church is not the building. And the church is not the choir. And the church is not flip side. And the church is not the institute. And the church is not the nursery. And the church is... The church is the gathering of God's people embodying the message and proclaiming the message that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And living as if that is a reality. What does it mean? Do you understand that if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, even if you were told today that you have three months or three weeks to live you can grieve that reality because the curse is, is, is evil. And the very reason Jesus came to, to live and die and be raised is to overcome that. 
and to put an end to this horrible thing called sickness and death. But Jesus has come. And even if you die, we read in John, you don't really die if you're a believer in Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has kingdom power over death. And when you die, you're healed. You go be with Him. And one day, someday, Jesus is coming back in space, time, and history. And there will be no more hospitals. There will be no more need for St. Jude for the great work that they do. Because Jesus is St. Jude. (laughs) Because He is the healer. Because He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. And if you believe that, then you should live differently in this world. Dear friends, if we believe that, then we not only personally change what we believe, but we change what we speak to people. How can you believe that you have the answer to everything that that ails us and not tell somebody? How can we believe that we have the, the Christ, the Son of the living God, in living relationship, that He has found us and we have found Him, and anyone can simply come to Him and repent and believe in Him and not tell our neighbor that reality? How can we do that? You see, the church is not simply believing it for ourselves, but believing it for our neighbor. It's on this profession You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that Jesus is building this church. And so, Jesus is not promising a perfect Sunday morning experience for us. He is not promising that you're going to find the perfect fit at a church. What He's promising is, if you receive Him as the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you see it as your life's mission to go out and in everything that you do, embody that that reality. Help the poor, help those in need, love when no one's loving, fight for justice, all the things that we should be doing, embracing this world that Jesus will come back and make new one day. But also speaking the reality that Jesus is the Messiah. And repent and believe in Him and you will have life. And see, if we are living that kind of life, when we come back in here on Sunday mornings, we're not so worried about what time the service is. We're not so concerned with, oh, I don't know this song. Man, can't we do some music that I know? And and believe me, I'm, I'm not, I'm preaching to me. I'm preaching to all of us. Oh, can't they get their nursery? Can't they do, can't, no. You see, when you're in a battle and you're brought in for your wounds to be worked on and and for you to be healed and sent back out, you're not looking around and complaining about the color of the, the curtains. You're just saying, just heal me. Just heal me. And that's what we are as the church. It doesn't matter if we have a tent out there in that field. The church is the the meeting and the gathering and the body of Christ coming around with one common profession, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I will go in this world and I I will flush it out and I will be beat up and I will come back 
Dear friends, that is our hope. But you see, men can build something so dramatically different. We can. We can build something that doesn't even resemble a church. We can make mission a committee that meets once a month to look at a budget to figure out how much money to send to the missionaries. We can make mercy something that the nonprofit in the inner city does. And we'll give them our $10 a month and, you know, we'll tell them what a great job they're doing when they come to our missions conference. And, you know, mission is something that, that a few people in the church, some of the kind of the more radical, you know, those take their faith really seriously, do once a week, I mean once a year for a week. See, we as men can make the church look like something that it's not. And that's why the world looks at us and goes, I don't need that. <laughs> I mean, why would I, why would I give my life to that? If we don't even believe how the radical message that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the ramifications of that, that He is the one building this church, therefore we can go anywhere at any time. And we can look foolish because we have the power of the one who sits on high. Do you see it? So downtown church, we're growing. But are we growing because we are believing and embodying the message that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Or is it because, man, our music's kind of cool and, hey, they're kind of multi-ethnic and, you know, they're even some... And you get it. And then thirdly and finally, believing and proclaiming Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, will result in opposition. And the gates of hell will not over, overcome or prevail against it. Man, that passage, we've used that passage in so many ways. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. Yeah, don't we all feel triumphant? And But do you realize... The gates of hell are trying to prevail against us. When we are the church, the world's going to leave us alone if we're happy just here and just coming and worshiping and going and doing, being quiet and doing our little business and being a nice little neighbor and taking cookies. And But when we begin to take this message seriously and we believe that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the answer to everything that ails you, and we began to be serious about speaking this message and arguing in the, the temple courts and arguing in the marketplace and calling men and women to repentance to, to receive the hope that we have within us that was granted all by grace to us. And dear friends, men will hate us. Why? Because to believe this is to admit that, there, that you cannot save yourself. It's to admit that no money, no sex, no relationship, no success, no beauty, no hobby, no, no accomplishment, nothing will give you any meaning but Jesus Christ. And man refuses. Man will believe anything and everything. History is proof of that. The lottery is proof of that. We will believe anything short of Jesus being the Christ, the Son of the living God. Because that is the only truth. 
we will be rejected, but we will not be dejected. Why? Because we are in a living relationship with the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this speaks to how we as a people must not just speak it. You see, that was the, that was the critique of the, of the church um, of the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and so forth. Is you know, our, our parents' church, well, they just all preached and they had theology conventions and, you know, but the, but the poor, they never, you know. So now the church is, okay, we've got to help the poor. It's both. We've got to embody and embrace and be the kingdom in our community But we can't just feed those who are hungry. We can't just clothe those who are naked. But while we're feeding, why? We need to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Why? Because we're arrogant and we believe that we have... No, because we are saved by grace and we know that He is the hope because He quickened us to life. And we so want them to have what we have, to have the hope that is within us. You see, dear friends, we have the power to love our enemies, and that's what we're called to do. We are to be a counterculture in this world. I love Matthew 5. You've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes His sun rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who you love, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. That's what the world is saying. Just love, just love me. Why, why church, are you... No, are we, we're the ones that should have the corner on the market on love. Because we don't. Love is not... Finding the inner you and coming out. But it's looking within and seeing the sin and the hopelessness and the brokenness within of all of us. And saying Jesus is the answer. And so, dear friends, are you living, embodying the hope of this message? Are you forgiving in radical ways? Are you loving in radical ways? The only way you can is if you have received and are believing right now in this moment the radical gospel of Jesus, that he has come for a sinner like you, that he knows everything about you, and he says, I'm coming for you. He knows how pathetic, he knows how evil, he knows how wicked your innermost thoughts are, and he says, but I choose to love you. Oh, what a message. That's the message that frees It's not, I look within and I have these desires and I just need to let them loose and then I'm going to be happy. No. It's to look within and say, every desire of my heart is wicked. But, oh, Lord Jesus, you are righteous and you have said that you love me. For God so loved the world that he didn't condemn the world, but he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, it's my prayer this morning that someone, that many someones in this place this morning would come to saving faith in that reality. And that many more of us would be renewed in our faith that Jesus is the Christ. And that we would go out into the world and we would embody that. And then we're the church that Jesus builds. And the gates of hell and all the uncertainty before us 
will not prevail against us. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the hope of the gospel. Thank you for your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thank you that there is hope. There is one that we can put our faith upon and in that will not leave nor forsake us, that will never disappoint us, that will absolutely scare us to death at times, but will always be there with love and mercy and compassion, who will call us to change and repentance, but give us the power and even the desire to change. Oh, Jesus, would you work in this place today? Would you give us faith God, would you make us the church that you're building and not a product of men that is focused on entertainment and comfort and people's needs. Oh, Jesus, do that work at Downtown Church and get all the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.